the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. It does say that it's supposed to be, and it is, not supposed to be, it it is spoken of when the gospel is given so very often, everywhere that it goes. So it seems to be that there is a little bit more of an emphasis on what Mary did. But there is no rebuke for the serving and the fellowship. So since there is not, then let me just suggest this. You that are so given to work, 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 work for the Lord, I don't want you to stop doing that. That is your motivation. That is your spiritual motivation, maybe, a service. It's your personality. So you like people, a task, and you want to get in there and get the job done. That's good. But make sure that you become balanced. Don't be only a Martha. Be a little bit of a Lazarus and slow down and commune with the Lord. And, and maybe just do a little bit more of giving up something. A lot of people spend all their time in Bible study, but they won't give. They won't buy things. They won't sacrifice in other areas. They'll sacrifice to come to a Bible study, but they won't sacrifice to come to a work party. You think, you know what I'm trying to say? So you've got a little bit of that going. And then there's some that, okay, I'll do my little bit of worship on Sunday morning. That's my little bit of sacrifice. And we often say here, do not on Sunday morning come to worship. We say, you bring your worship with you because you're worshiping all the time. So again, bounce and make sure and ask yourself that tough question. Have I now been so comfortable that I roll into this one or I roll into that one or I roll into the other one over here? And maybe, Lord... I need to worship you with greater balance and probably based on the fact that this is so much talked about, this devotion to you of sacrifice, that Lord, that's the one I need to work on the most. I don't know. Think about that with me and see if that'll be a part of it. So we talked about here this going on and how that you're misunderstood. Let's go back to the passage because I want to bring in the second motivation here. And I'll I'll explain that in a moment as it connects to Mary, but this is what we call selfishness or deceit. This was the motivation of Judas. So let's go back to the passage here, shall we? Pick it up with me, if you will, at verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Now let's pause there for a moment. You read that, and we want to beat up on, on Judas right there. Look at that. What kind of a thing is he saying there? I want you to know in the other writings, the disciples were saying the same thing. In this context, Jesus is speaking to Judas. In the other context, Jesus is speaking to them or they. 
So now you've got the group of disciples over here with Judas over here. In this context, he's speaking to Judas, but the disciples are present. You know that in the whole context of those verses. So here's what I'm saying. I believe that Judas was the, um, the ringleader of this. He was the, uh, the sour grape one who, quote, liquored up the rest of the disciples at that time. He was the one who was the bad influence on guys who weren't the same uh, deceitful, selfish people like Judas was. But somehow he convinced them to have that same attitude. Yeah, what are we doing with all this stuff? We should be giving it to the poor. And they're all, kind of, yeah, that's right. It's like a lot of people that might have a negative attitude, but they hang around others and they kind of poison them. And so Jesus knows that because he knows all things. And he knew what was going on in Judas. But yeah, he's poisoning the disciples. But the disciples weren't doing what Judas was doing. What was Judas doing? Go back to the passage. <clears throat> Here's what it says. He says, Jesus says, now he, Jesus said this. Uh, <clears throat> no, I mean, sorry, this is what Judas said. Not because he was concerned about the poor. In other words, Judas wasn't concerned about the poor. But because he was a thief. And he's the one that had the money box. And he used to pilfer what was put into it. Therefore, Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it to the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. So here's my point in this context. He was a thief. Now he sees all this perfume being poured out. She said, why don't, why don't that perfume be given here? So watch, we could sell it. If you sold the perfume, that means you would get money. If you got money, a year's salary, let's say $50,000 of our money here, who would be holding that money? Judas. <laughs> He's got the bag, the box here. So now he could pilfer even more out of this thing. Now here's what you don't know yet. But if you read further in the context, the very next thing after this event, what does Judas do? He runs after the Jewish leaders to get money out of them to be able to turn Jesus in. So he was driven by selfishness, greed, deceit, all of that. And as bad as he was, he took other Christians with him, the disciples, and got them all messed up. So here's a question to you. Could you be hanging around a deceptive person right now that sounds real good? That could be making it sound like, see, he's wrong, he's right. Just like Judas did. Shouldn't we be doing this for the poor? He didn't care about the poor. He just wanted to have that money, 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 money. Jesus cares about the poor. But he said, at this time, though, you need to take care of me. You'll always have the poor around you. So here's the lesson we can learn in this about Judas. That there are people that look like they're Christians, they can talk like they're Christians, they can talk about nice things and spiritual act, act, acting things, but behind the scenes is that they're a liar. They're lying to themselves because their heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and God knows those hearts that are out there. So my question to you, is your heart turned toward the Lord, and is it authentic in your motivation, in your relationship with Him? What is motivating you? Watch this, watch this. Are you doing things for him because you want to get stuff for what you're doing for him? Are you serving to get? Are you serving? Watch this. Because you already have all you ever need. He's taking care of everything. And you says, I want to give it all away. I'm not just talking about money, but whatever I have, I give to the Lord because he keeps my tank full. I don't know where you are. I don't know where I am. But you've got to ask that question. Are we going to have devotion like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? Are we going to be selfish like Judas and the other disciples? And... We might not have that as our primary nature, but if we're hanging around those kinds of people that are a little deceptive, say all the right words, but inside, they're not right with God. They can affect you or infect you just like they did the disciples. Well, let's leave that person and move on to the next. And while you're moving to the third kind of wonderful motivation here of the crowd that's quite crazy, 
I want to draw you back just for a moment. When she broke this off, broke the, the vial, and it, she poured it on Jesus, can you imagine what that smell must have been like? It said it's filled up the whole room. It was, a, it was an, an, an anointment that they would put on people that were getting buried because they didn't embalm them then. They didn't have any of that kind of stuff, so they would stink when they were dying and rotting. So you would do that. So this was in preparation for Jesus' death, although she didn't know that, but that was going on. And so just as all this is happening is a sign of what's going into the future. And I got thinking about this. Watch this. She poured it on him, so that probably went in his, obviously, his head, feet. She did it with her hair, wiped his feet. You probably, why, did, why did he wipe it? Back in those days, the women would wear their hair up in a bun once you're a certain age. She took that bun down and she dried his feet best as she could, but all that oil, and it's not like an evaporating alcohol, it's oil, it got into his clothes. That means the entire week, wherever Jesus went, my, did he smell good. Have you ever been around some guys? Usually they're single and not all singles. I'm not going to marginalize my single brothers, so relax. But they usually don't have that right woman to tell them. But some single guys, they just think that more is better. You know what I'm saying? You girls are laughing. And you go, hi. You know, just don't light a match around that guy. He'll explode. Well, think of the beautiful smell that Jesus had with that anointment as a constant reminder. Watch this. Because you didn't pour ointment on live guys. This is kind of odd. But always reminding a whole week ahead of time, he's going to die. He's going to die. We're going to have a corpse. Not knowing that, but thinking back, look what we did before he died. But now look what happens with the crowd. We got the third motivator in here. Go to verse 9. It's only one verse. It says here, the large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there. Remember? The Jews knew something was happening. There was always action around Jesus. So I would like to say that this large crowd... They were curious. Their motivation was curiosity. Oh, Jesus is here. We heard he was here a little while ago. He left and now he's back again. Man, he's here. Let's go see what's going to happen with this guy. But they came not only for Jesus' sake, but they also came because they wanted to see Lazarus. Why? Whom he raised from the dead. Now think about it for a moment. Wouldn't you like to have seen Lazarus? Now honestly, wouldn't you? I'd like to know what he looked like. you You are dead. I want to talk to you. Now don't be so smug. One of the most popular books today is written by a dad of a little boy who's supposed to have died and gone to heaven. Is heaven for real? They're selling that book by the tens of, maybe a million of them now, translating in the languages. They'll probably have a movie out of it. All right? Another guy, he dies in a wreck. He goes to heaven. He comes back 90 seconds with God or something. I don't know. And everybody wants to hear him speak. You've been there, done that. I want to know more about it. They all want to hear him. And I always want to caution and say, whatever they say, run it through the grid of Scripture. And the point of the matter is, curiosity will always draw a crowd. Let me tell you, if you want to build this crowd right here, all I've got to do is one thing. Set this building on fire and everybody will come. They're curious. You know why there's so many people seeking spiritual answers? Because there's so many people seeking spiritual answers. Like, they always want to go, where's the crowd? What's happening over there? It's a big crowd. I want to see what's happening. And there's a lot of curiosity seekers. And so what is your motivation for your relationship with the Lord? Because your friends have it. Others have it. You hear about it. You think it's kind of cool? Sports stars are now having it and coming out of the closet with that stuff? What is your motivation and your relationship with the Lord? Is it curiosity? Curiosity isn't always wrong, but it is short-lived. And so when you have that curiosity and it's just a little bit of short time, let me just say this. You need, to, you need to capitalize on it. You moms and dads, if your kids for a moment come out of their little shell and with a little bit of curiosity want to know about God and the Bible and what about this and what about that, I want you to 
pull the car over to the side of the road and immediately deal with that because that moment of curiosity could be ending just like that. So take advantage of it. Capitalize on it. The other thing is that it's often controlled by the crowd. If that person or you are involved in that crowd right now, all it's going to take is the next crowd is going to go in that direction. The next crowd is going to go in that direction. Another guy in that direction. For those of you that live on our island, have you ever seen the schools of fish? Have you ever swam, swam with them? All you've got to do is throw a rock in the water or do something, and that whole school immediately change in another direction. That's curiosity. And let me tell you, that happened here. That happened here. In a short time, what's going to happen? They're going to put down all the palm fronds and Hosanna the king. A week later, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Same crowd, same crowd, same curious crowd. They wanted to see Lazarus. What happened? Hey, maybe he'll die again and he'll raise him. Well, this is the circus show. I don't know what your motivation is and if it's curiosity, that's okay. But let me tell you, be very careful. Chew the real thing, scripture, and realize that it's not going to be some big, bizarre, flashy thing. It's usually something very quiet, slowly, faith by faith by faith. Well, let's end with the the last one here that might help you. Besides, you have the emotional experiences and the external experiences. It doesn't work with curiosity. You just got to bank on it by going right to the Lord. Last is the fear. There's a fear factor, and this is only two more verses. It says, but the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also. Now, this always got to me. Why would they want to kill Lazarus? I think, listen, listen, listen. This This gets really cute. Lazarus came back to life. A lot of people then knew that Jesus was the Lord. They believed in him. We've already studied that in John chapter 11. So if they were now following Jesus and the chief priests didn't want people to follow Jesus, why would they want to put Lazarus to death if they already somehow knew Jesus raised him from the dead? Maybe they thought, okay, Jesus is good for one resurrection, but he's not good for two of them. Or maybe they forgot about it that if if Lazarus did die and they killed him, Jesus would bring him back, kind of like a yo-yo, Lazarus a yo-yo, death life, death life, death life. Can you imagine how many more people would have followed Jesus then? They wanted to put him to death. But notice the word also. That is a word you need to circle in your Bible, put to death also, which meant that the Jews planned to put someone else to death. And who do you think that was, everyone? Jesus. Jesus. Why? Because on account of him, Lazarus, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. And you might say, now Stan, where in the world did you get fear out of that? All right, very simple. Remember what we taught you. The Jews were afraid that if Jesus was too strong of a leader, all of a sudden there could be an insurrection that goes on with the Roman people in the city because he's supposed to be the Messiah, the king over here. Then the Romans, because they're much bigger than us Jews, even if Jesus is now the king that's coming out of his king king closet kind of thing. All right, so that means now the Romans are going to come back and really squash us right now. So what we got to do is make sure that Jesus really isn't the king here. He's not really who he's supposed to be. He doesn't have that power he's supposed to be. Let's get rid of him because we don't want to rock the boat here in Jerusalem. There's a great deal of fear. So how do I spin that for you and me? Maybe some of us have a relationship with the Lord out of fear as well. We're not trying to kill Jesus, but our attitude is we're afraid of Jesus. Maybe we serve the Lord out of fear, not out of grace, not out of mercy. Maybe we're afraid if we don't do something with him, he's going to squash us like a bug. And so we have a very imbalanced, false economy in our walk with God. Worse yet, some won't even go to God, won't go to Christ. Because they fear if they did, their life might change. Their life might have to change. Not to be saved, but because they are. 
And right now, they're so much enjoying eating this plastic grass of life because they're afraid of this other life and they don't want to be a part of it. And now I'm going to indict all of us. Maybe it's because those unsaved people, they look at us and we don't live a fully devoted life to Him. And so we're wishy-washy. We're not better than, much better than they are. We have one foot in the world and one foot in Christianity. And there's a real question going on now. And they say, you know what? If that's Christianity, I don't want it either. And I'm afraid I might have to be like that. And I don't be like those weirdos. But I'm telling you, an authentic Christian is one that's full of what? Watch this. Walking by the Spirit, he's full of love, joy, peace, cheerful long-suffering, mercy, kindness. Let me tell you, you will be a magnet for other people. And when they ask you, why are you so different? You can simply say, it's the Jesus in me. Children didn't fear Jesus. Why should we? So I hope we see this because as I look over the life here, I want my life to be fully sold out for him. My attitudes will affect my actions. So what's your motivation? Is it devotion? Is it selfishness? Is it curiosity? Is it fear? It'll affect your, your actions. And if you go in and out of those, our actions will do the same thing. So let's get sold out for God. Maybe we need to serve a little bit more. Maybe we need to sit around Jesus a little bit more. Maybe we need to sacrifice a little more. Maybe we need to bounce back and forth in that, but it's all born out of devoting ourselves to him. Let me share with you a struggle I have. Selfishness, curiosity, and fear is all from the flesh. We all have that, even though it's been put to death at the cross, etc. And so now we have devotion, selfishness. Devotion, selfishness. We rock back and forth. Let me tell you, wouldn't it be great today, Memorial Day weekend, to finally look at that and say, no more selfishness, no more curiosity, no more fear. I want to devote myself totally to him. So you say, what do I do first, Dan? First thing you need to do is you need to come to Christ by faith. He doesn't want you to worship him by sacrificing this old lifestyle in order to get saved. He wants you to come just as you are, a sinner so totally lost that there's no amount of sacrifice you could do to get into his forever family. You come to him hopelessly lost and say, Lord, I need a savior. I am drowning in my sin. I am drowning in emptiness of life. And so, Lord, you are my life saver. And I'm trusting you to grab me and to give me eternal life now. And I'm going to tell you, when you come to him strictly by faith alone, he says, I'll forgive you of that old life. I'll forgive you of your present sin when you go up and down. I'll forgive you for the things you do wrong. You are my child now. Now that you're my child, and because you're my child, watch this, live the rest of your life thanking me for what I've done for you in worship and devotion. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Take a few moments and reflect on what we heard here today. It's Memorial Weekend and all of you have read or heard stories about soldiers that died because of a sniper bullet or a soldier who had died because they didn't know there was a, a particular mine there and it exploded. They didn't know it was out there. In other words, it blindsided them. You know that. And then some of you have heard of soldiers who have jumped in front of bullets or threw themselves on grenades or immediately did whatever they could to stand in the way of of danger for their own men, their own team, their own squad. And they knew immediately that what they were doing right then at that moment, they will die. And you know people like that. 
either one of those cases, they were still dedicated. They committed, they sacrificed when they signed up. Some came back literally without a scratch. Others came back without parts of their body. Others came back in a box. Others have not come back at all yet. But all of them sacrificed. All of them devoted in some measure. Well, that's them, but what about you and me? What's your motivation? You're coming into your last week of life, and I'm speaking rhetorically. But if it was, have you trusted Christ as your Savior so when you die that final physical death that you'll be absent from the body and present with the Lord? Why don't you in your own heart cry unto Him and simply say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know I've done things wrong and I will do things wrong. I'm counting upon you being the Lord God Almighty who will forgive me of my sin because you went to the cross, died and rose again. I am trusting in who you are and what you've done for me. And I'm saying thank you for that. I'm receiving it. I'm trusting in you. And Jesus says, He that believes on me has right now everlasting life without the deeds of the law. Now once you've done that, What is your motivation in your relationship with Him? Is it going to be devotion? For some, you need to serve a little bit. Others, maybe you need to spend time with Him, alone with Him, fellowshipping, talking to Him, listening to Him. Others of you, a lot more sacrifice. Where would it be with you? All three are good. But maybe it's the intimacy that will fuel your outreach for him. That intimacy that you have with him will fuel that service of him. Are you just doing this and you've kind of defrauded all those that are around you? You made them think that you're more dedicated than you really are? And you're one of those that look like you're part of the team, but when it really gets hot, when there's real trial, you're the one that'll be out with your buds on Saturday night You'll be the ones that'll be laughing or telling stories that aren't right. You'll be the ones that'll be compromising your holiness through selfishness and deception. Or are you the kind that's part of the crowd? You, you, kinda, you, want, you don't want to be left out, so you're just kind of hanging in because everybody else is and you're following the crowd, but you haven't yet stepped over the line. And then some of you are just so fearful, and so you have a convoluted view of God. Whatever that might be, there's a cure for the last three because you want to be in the first one, devotion to the Lord. So let me ask you only two invitations. The first one is, is there anyone in here today that's ready to accept Christ as their personal Savior, as a Lord who died again by placing their faith in Christ and today you're trusting Christ? If that's you, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Now when you raise your hand, I'm not going to have you come forward. No one's going to watch you. You're not going to have to stand up. You're not going to say anything. When I see that hand, I'm going to say, thank you, God bless you. That's all I'm going to say. I won't describe you or name you. I will pray for you because I want to welcome you into God's family of forgiveness. But at the same time, I won't embarrass you. But I'd like to know, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you like to have someone pray for you? I'd love to pray for you. Again, me praying for you doesn't get you into heaven. It's your faith in Christ that does. But today would be a good time to do that. So there be anyone now that's listening to this call and you're ready to place your faith in Christ, you're saying, Lord, I believe you died for me. I'm trusting in you and you alone, not my deeds, 
not my works, but only you. If you're saying that in your heart to the Lord and you mean it and you'd like for me to pray for you because today's the day you're doing that with heads bowed now, no one looking around, eyes closed. If you're doing that, would you slip up your hand right now? Is there anyone at all that'd like for me to pray for them? Put your hand up real high so I can see it, okay? Okay? Christians, let me speak to you for a moment. Are some of you perhaps uh, maybe getting a checkup from the neck up? Did the Holy Spirit maybe speak to you about your motivation and what's really motivating you? Is there something that you might need to do to make maybe a mid-course correction? For some, it might be a major correction. For some of you, it might be a tiny little tune-up. But you are wanting to go to the next level in your relationship with the Lord with proper motivation. And you'd like to have prayer today. Again, I'm not going to bother you. I'm not going to think the worst of you if you raise your hand like you've had such a bad life. It's just we're all in this together. We all probably could raise our hand if we're meaning this and we want change. Now remember, me praying for you won't necessarily make a difference in your life. A little bit maybe. But it's when you do business with the Lord and you take ownership of that. But how many of you would like to have prayer because you want to take ownership and you know the importance now of proper motivation? Would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone here today that would like to have prayer? Amen. Amen. Our gracious Heavenly Father, whether we raised our hand or not, we will give an account of what we heard today and what we do with it before you. I'm so grateful for your spirit that empowers us to do this. I'm so grateful for your word that is our manual to teach us what to do. I'm so grateful, Father, for your mercy and grace as you come alongside us to help us. And then, Father, I'm so grateful that we have a reason to do it, to bring glory and honor to you because you died and rose again for us. So I thank you for these dear people that are responding to your word and your message today. Father, I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.